This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan! Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Buckle up. College football is back, and we are roaring into week number one of the college football season. We're live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. What better way to kick off your college football tailgate than right here for the next two hours with us? I'm joined by a very special guest. He's the associate editor of Campus Insiders. He's also my co-host. I want to welcome in Rich Sermonello. Rich, we got college football started in a big way over the last couple of days. Thanks for joining us, and more importantly, give us some thoughts about what we witnessed over the last couple of days. You know, Joe, I, I think we had grown accustomed over the years to schedules that began very softly, teams that, that scheduled FCS, group of five opponents, but now that we have a playoff, and now that programs and ADs realize that you have to beef up that schedule if you want to compete for one of the four playoff spots, the fans are the biggest beneficiary because we have what could be the best opening weekend in the history of college football. I agree with that 100%. There is one game today kicking off, and Boston College does have a 14-7 to lead over Georgia Tech entering the fourth quarter. We'll keep an eye out for that game. We have a great show planned for you today at 10.31 Eastern Time. Former Wisconsin Badger running back Anthony Davis will be joining us. We'll talk about that marquee battle, LSU in Wisconsin. 11.15 Eastern Time, former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen will join us. He's live from the Georgia Dome. We'll get Corey's take about UNC and Georgia starting Grayson Lambert. Stay with us. You could follow me on Twitter at Go for the Two. That's the number two. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C I R M I N I E L L O. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call 844 84 F-N-T-S-Y, that's 844-843-6879. Rich, we have to talk about Thursday and Tennessee being pushed to the limit by Appalachian State. They pulled that game out 20-13 to in overtime, but not the team that a lot of prognosticators thought entering the season. A lot of, pick, a lot of people picked this team to win the SEC East and possibly be a playoff-caliber team. They didn't show it on Thursday night, and more importantly, I look at their quarterback, Josh Dodd, a mediocre performance. They're going to need him the rest of the way if Tennessee is going to make some noise. You know what they're going to need more, Joe? They're they're going to need better play from the offensive line. For me, that's what stood out Thursday night. You get the victory, somewhat of a a fortunate victory over Appalachian State. I think they were outplayed for most of the night. And now the question becomes, is this a team that we were overrating throughout the offseason, or is this a team that you know, maybe was rusty uh, looking beyond App State to next week's game against Virginia Tech uh, down at Bristol Motor Speedway. It's a possibility. I'm still bullish on Tennessee because I look at the offensive talent, the defensive personnel, the fact that this staff has been in place for a number of years. I still believe they're the team to beat in the SEC East. And, you know, if you want to look at this from a glass is half full perspective, they got a wake up call. I mean, you know, Butch Jones was telling them all offseason. 
Stop reading the press clippings. You're not as good as everybody's saying. Now he actually has footage to prove it. And if you want to take that angle, uh, that might be the most positive thing to come out of Thursday night. We spoke about it yesterday. I think they're going to struggle next week uh, in Bristol against Virginia Tech and Justin Fuente. I, I think Virginia Tech has a lot of offensive weapons that a lot of people don't know know about. And I look for Justin Fuente and that offensive staff to mix mismatch formations and schemes and really get their skill players on some linebackers and nickelbacks in that matchup. We'll touch on that a little bit later next week. But when you look at this team overall, I mean, at what point do we say Josh Dobbs? I mean, he's a great kid. Yeah, a lot of people love him. This is a team last year. They lost four games by a total of 17 points. But we see the pressure over in Baton Rouge with their quarterback and Brandon Harris. He needs to take the next step in terms of his progressions. Do we start putting Josh Dobbs in that conversation? You know, I, I think we talked about it off the air. I, I think Josh Dobbs gets a bit of a pass because people really like him. I mean, he, he's the kid that, that fathers want their daughters to date. Uh, he's a terrific kid, terrific student athlete, uh, aerospace engineering major. There's a lot to like about Josh Dobbs. But if you talk to NFL scouts, they're going to give you the skinny on him, which is he's a good college quarterback. He's not a next-level quarterback. He's going to be a very good leader. He's athletic outside of the pocket, but if you're expecting him to be a pro-style passer, someone who can stretch a defense, take the top off the defense, I don't think he's going to be that kid. He's fortunate to have Jalen Hurd, Alvin Kamara behind him, so there's a running game that will support him, but again, I think it's more important to look at his protection. They got beat at the line of scrimmage by Appalachian State, and as we look ahead to Virginia Tech next week, Virginia Tech has experienced Lyman, both on offense and defense. So that, that's something that needs to be addressed in practice this week. We'll talk about that next week. That's the marquee battle in Bristol, Tennessee. Tennessee and Virginia Tech, 160,000 plus to watch that game. Largest crowd to watch a college football game in history. We're going to turn our attention to some week one battles and coaches on the hot seat. I mean, Rich, when you look at these games, uh, uh, 10 to 12 marquee games that start at 12 o'clock, Oklahoma and Houston. But we talked about it yesterday. Coach is on the hot seat, and we brought up four names. Les Miles and LSU playing Wisconsin. You have Charlie Strong and Texas facing Notre Dame. You also have Gus Miles on and the Auburn Tigers facing Clemson and Dabo Sweeney and even Kevin Sumlin and the Texas A&M Aggies, Josh Rosen and the UCLA Bruins come to town. In your opinion, out of those four, which one needs to win his week one matchup to save his job? Well, if you say win, Joe, I I'm actually going to go a little bit off script and suggest less miles. I, I think he can ill afford to lose this game. We've all talked throughout the offseason about the possibility that LSU is built for an SEC title. They're built for possibly a national championship run. Even though they're going up to Lambeau where, where you know, we'll see a ton of cheeseheads, it's going to be a, a red contingency of Wisconsin fans, this is not a vintage Badger team. I, I think this is a mid-level Big Ten squad. LSU should win this game convincingly. So if Miles stumbles, we're going to be back to where we were last November, where people are questioning if he can get this program over the hump. I know Charlie Strong has the hottest of the hot seats of that quartet. I don't think he has to beat Notre Dame. 
I think they have to play well. Can't be 38-3 to like it was last year. Les Miles has got to win this opening weekend game. And he has Dave Aranda. The benefit of Dave Aranda, the former defensive coordinator for Wisconsin that now comes over. So a lot of people expecting LSU to have a read on the Badgers. You mentioned Wisconsin's offense. Not the same team because last year they rushed for 150 rushing yards per game. Over the last three years now, the rushing production has gone down considerably. In 2013, they averaged 283 yards per game. In 2014, it was 320 yards per game. Last year, they were at 150, but in their three losses to Alabama, Northwestern, and Iowa, they only averaged 33 rushing yards per game. They're going to need a better effort today in Lambeau at 330 if they're going to knock off LSU in that matchup. I'm going to stick to Charlie Strong, and and we spoke about it as well in depth. Here's why I think Charlie Strong has to win this game against Notre Dame, and I think it's an uphill battle, because now they bring in Sterling Gilbert from Tulsa, who now comes over. I don't think that's a Charlie Strong hire, in my opinion. I think it's more of an administration and a, and a, a booster uh, mentality that they want this wide-open attack. If you've watched Charlie Strong in his days at Louisville, he wants to pound the football between the tackles and, you, and work off a of play action. He had Teddy Bridgewater. He hasn't had the type of quarterback play that he's had in recent years. So for me, I, I really think a lot of pressure on this Texas team to win now. If they st- struggle on Sunday night, I think a lot of pressure on, on Charlie Strong. And I really think he feels the heat. He needs to win his first three games in order to save his job, in my opinion, Rich. Well, I, I, I think style points are going to matter Sunday night, Joe. I... I, I obviously he helps his job security if he wins but this team has to look better than they did throughout last season there has to be better special teams play fewer turnovers better competency from the quarterbacks I kind of like the move of Sterling Gilbert I, I I think this team had to go outside the box I think about Gary Patterson at TCU you know Gary Patterson is a defensive minded coach he prefers to run the ball but he had the wisdom two years ago to hand his offense over to Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham and open it up for Trevon Boykin and 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 I'm not saying that Trevon Boykin is in Austin right now but to compete in the Big 12 you have to have a little more offensive pop so I applaud Charlie Strong for this move puts a lot of pressure on Sterling Gilbert but also a great opportunity for him career-wise to turn this into a promotion well it's not just the offense it's the defense they allowed 30 points per game 219 rushing yards per game and also 233 passing yards per game their most since the 2008 season when they allowed 259 yards through the air. We'll take a break. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day. Quick update. BC and quarterback Patrick Tolles clinging to a 14 to 10 lead. About five minutes left in that ball game. We'll keep you updated. Rich, we're going to head right into the week one analysis of these marquee battles. Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield taking on Greg Ward Jr. and the Houston Cougs. Interesting battle to say the least. I mean, this is a make it or break it game for Oklahoma. They could ill afford to drop this game if they have any shot to make it back to the playoff. Well, and I 
I would say the same thing about Houston as well. I, you know, Houston is a team that if you want to dream about, you know, a, a group of five school getting to the college football playoff, here's your team. And, and I think Houston has a distinct possibility. Finished last year with just one loss, a loss against UConn in which Greg Ward Jr. was not available in that game, had a bum wheel. Uh, beat Florida State in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, did it convincingly. Uh, so this is a team that can beat Oklahoma, in my opinion. They have the offensive talent. They have the young superstar coach in Tom Herman. They also have a game against Louisville in November. So, you know, Houston wins this game. We're going to spend the rest of the season wondering if they can crack the top four and actually make a playoff berth. And if you're going to get Houston's best shot, and I always say this, uh, the six months of preparation time that Tom Herman and that staff have to work on in terms of breaking down game film will help the Houston Cougars in this matchup. You're talking about a Houston Cougar team that was plus 21 in turnover margin, second in FBS behind San Diego State, a very active defensive front that recorded 36 sacks as a defensive unit, and that's the matchup I look at going up against the offensive line of Oklahoma last year, Rich. They allowed 41 sacks as an offensive line, and really in their two losses to Texas and Clemson did not play well in terms of protecting Baker Mayfield, so that could be a matchup that we'll see play out a little bit later today. Yeah, but you know, Joe, that that concerns me. I I understand your take, but if you're going to pin your ears back, and and Todd Orlando, the defensive coordinator of Houston, likes to do that, if you're going to pin your ears back and use the athletes, the Steven Taylors, the Brandon Wilsons, and really go after Oklahoma hard, you have two problems. Number one, you have Baker Mayfield, who can kill you downfield. He's a precision passer. He'll make plays outside of the pocket. But do they have the girth in the trenches? Do they have the physicality, the assertiveness on the defensive line to slow down Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon, arguably the best one-two punch uh, in a running game in the country. That is my big concern. Houston's defense, how well they hold up against the physicality of that Oklahoma offensive line and the physicality of the running backs. You're talking about a defensive unit that only allowed 108 rushing yards per game. And here's the flip side of that, Rich. When I look at Oklahoma's deficiencies on defense, they don't have Eric Stryker, their big play linebacker, but both losses last year to Texas and Clemson, both mobile quarterbacks and Gerard Hurd and Deshaun Watson, we know as well as anybody, Greg Ward Jr. is one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in college football, 21 rushing touchdowns. He added another 17 through the air and you look at the rushing yards allowed in Oklahoma's two losses last year 313 to Texas 312 to Clemson they're going to need a better effort today to pull out this victory yeah and a name that that fans around the country might not know at this point is Duke Catalan who will join Greg Ward Jr. in the backfield a Texas transfer a former blue chip recruit looking for a second chance in Houston for Tom Herman so they'll have the ability to run the ball I, I listen I think Houston will score my concern again is will Oklahoma score more if this is a shootout can Houston keep pace with the balance of that Oklahoma offense and and Oklahoma has a better defensive team as well they have better defensive personnel to your point about preparation time I'll say Mike Stoops has had the past six months to prepare for Greg Ward and and his skill position players talking about an Oklahoma defense last year that was plus 10 in turnover margin and did record 40 sacks as a defensive 
the front. So we'll see how that game plays out a little bit later. Rich and I will give our predictions in the second half of the show. Last two segments, we'll move on. Another marquee battle, UCLA and Josh Rosen in Kyle Field to face Texas A&M and Kevin Sumlin. This is an intriguing battle because a lot of fans uh, on Kevin Sumlin, I, the fans will be up into this game. Josh Rosen called out. Kyle Field said anything over 50,000 plus is not that big of a deal. But I look at this UCLA defense in this matchup, Rich. Last year, they allowed 198 rushing yards per game in their five losses, 220 rushing yards on the ground, and in three games last year, allowed opposing offenses to rush for over 300 yards per game. I really like this matchup. I know it's it's fallen somewhat beneath the radar uh, on a schedule that has LSU, Wisconsin, and Alabama, USC games we'll talk about, but I think this could be a launching point game for both of these programs. UCLA heads into the season thinking that they're the Pac-12 favorite. They're a, a possible team that could make it to the playoffs. I, I happen to think that Texas A&M could be a sleeper out of the SEC West. I really like the talent. I like the sense of urgency. You mentioned Kevin Sumlin. Uh, the best bookend in the country in Miles Garrett and Deshaun Hall. Uh, tremendous wide receivers. And now you have the veteran quarterback. And that's what was missing last year is Trevor Knight comes over from Oklahoma, joined by another Sooner transfer, Keith Ford, in the backfield. But now that you have a veteran quarterback pitch the ball around to the to the receivers like Christian Kirk and Josh Reynolds, I think Texas A&M will really be amped up for this game at home. It's a, it's a tremendous matchup. Big game for Jim Moore on the UCLA side as well. It really is. And you look at UCLA, they lose their big play wide receiver, Jordan Payton. They lose Thomas Duarte that led the team with 10 receiving touchdowns. And if you followed me, I've said it before, Texas A&M was my pick to win the SEC West because of Trevor Knight and Keith Ford. And you mentioned the wide receivers. Now, Speedy Nola's suspended for this game, but you're talking about a quartet of guys like you mentioned that combined for 197 total receptions, 2,702 yards and 18 receiving touchdowns. And for me, I look at second year in John Chavis's scheme. He's got Deshaun Hall and Miles Garrett that combined for 19 and a half sacks. This is a defense in Texas A&M that held opposing offenses to 27% on third downs and only 166 passing yards per game. In today's offenses, with spread attacks, that's a great statistic. And I think I'm really interested to see how this game plays out as well because I'm with you. This is an under-the-radar game that's not getting as much attention as it should. Yeah, hey, look, you know, Josh Rosen, will he be protected? I mean, UCLA forever has had an issue keeping the pocket clean. They improved last year. They've got a next-level tackle in Connor McDermott. But Miles Garrett, you know, I believe the most exceptional college football player entering 2016. He's going to get an opportunity. He's tired of hearing about Josh Rosen. He's going to get an opportunity to introduce himself throughout the afternoon. And you're talking about a UCLA offensive line that protected Rosen very well last year, only allowed 14 sacks. So we'll see how that matchup plays out. 3.30 Eastern time on CBS. Quick update. Georgia Tech does have the ball. It is fourth down and 19. They just got a big first down to go across midfield. They're in striking distance. 14 to 10. BC leads that matchup with about 236 to play. We'll keep you updated. When we come back, we'll talk about Clemson and Auburn. And here's an interesting thing, Rich. 
Gus Malzahn going to Sean White. I feel like it makes this offense one-dimensional. Just get your quick thoughts about uh, the, the quarterback change in, in going with White because of ex- his experience, good or bad in your opinion. Well, I, I think it's just a bad uh, testament to the Auburn offense right now. I'm not sure. I'm not going to question the decision. To me, it's an indication that Jeremy Johnson and John Franklin just didn't make the progressions that they needed to in the summer. The fact that Sean White uh, is the quarterback entering the season, I, I think if you're an Auburn fan, you're tremendously concerned. Defense, Joe, should be better. Look at Carl Lawson. Look at a number of players, Montrevious Adams, who should have big seasons. But that offense right now is going to be a big concern. We'll touch on that game in next segment. Anthony Davis, stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, a marquee battle taking place in Lambeau Field, LSU and Wisconsin. What better way to talk to Wisconsin Badger football than with the fourth leading rusher in Wisconsin history? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in former Wisconsin running back Anthony Davis. AD, how are you today? I'm good. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing well. Anthony, I want to get your thoughts about Wisconsin's victory over USC last year in the Holiday Bowl. How do you feel that it prepared this team in terms of a confidence level entering this week one matchup against Les Miles and the LSU Tigers? I think you always want to finish the season strong. Um, and the bowl games, those are really good uh, especially for your younger guys that are coming back and are going to have to step up into big roles. I mean, that's kind of that's that's your momentum builder going into the off season. You know that you you, you ended the season strong. You go into the off season, and it's really inspiring for the young guys who are fighting for playing time um, to to step up and, and and get in those critical roles uh, to to end the season on a on a positive note with a big victory over a big time program like USC. I think it's very good for confidence, and uh, I think you'll see that. You look at Wisconsin's offense last year, they averaged 26 points per game, and they were a little bit more balanced under Paul Chris. They averaged 228 passing yards per game, their most since 2011 when they had Russell Wilson at the helm. But I look at this rushing offense, Anthony, only 150 rushing yards last year. Corey Clement was banged up with the injury. But how important is he today? In order for Wisconsin to possibly pull off the upset, how do how much does Wisconsin need Corey Clement to have a big day today? Oh, I mean, he's one of their best players, you know, and, and your best your, your best players have to play their best football in the big games, you know, in order to win. He, uh, he he he's critical, you know. I mean, we have some other good backs there, but there's definitely uh, a, a very there's definitely a difference. You know, he's a special player. He's just got to stay healthy. He's got to stay healthy, and they got to get him rolling again and getting him on track, and uh, he's got to be engaged in the offense today. So I think it's going to be critical, you know. Last question I want to ask you is is about their former defensive coordinator, Dave Aranda. He's now in Baton Rouge leading this LSU Tigers defense. A lot of people think that LSU has a scouting advantage in this game because he understands personnel, not on just the the defensive side, but on the offensive side from practicing against them each and every day last year. Give me your thoughts about how big of a move it is to have Dave Aranda on LSU and how it might affect the Wisconsin – team in terms of defensive game planning 
Well, regardless of whether he uh, is familiar with uh, Wisconsin's formation, with our formations and our offense, I mean, the guy is a great coach. He's a phenomenal coordinator. Uh, so I think going up against a coordinator like that is going to would be challenging regardless. But him having that familiarity with some of the personnel, I think, is where you really have to pay attention. I think he's going to know a little bit. He'll know a little bit more than any other coordinator um, that we're going to see this year in terms of you know personnel stuff. You know what type of passers Bart Houston. You know how can we get him out of rhythm. You know those type of things. I think may give may give him a little. He'll have a little bit of an advantage. But regardless of that, I mean the guy's a great defensive coach. And uh, I expect LSU to, to, to put out a pretty good defense today, have a good defensive game plan. Anthony Rich Sermonello, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, listen, you mentioned Bart Houston. For fans around the country who are listening in right now, unfamiliar with Wisconsin quarterbacks, uh, Houston in specific, can you give us a little scouting report as to what uh, viewers will see in him today and what LSU will see in him as well? You know, I think uh, I think you will see, I think you will see a poised quarterback today. I think he will manage the game very well, and I and I'm hoping and I and I believe that as the game goes on, if he completes some high percentage throws, uh, you'll see him open up a little bit. You know, I, he's a guy who definitely likes to throw the ball down the field if he gets an opportunity to do so. Uh, but I think it's it, you know being his first time starting such a big game, I think he's going to have to. Uh, warm up a little bit, you know. You have to get into a rhythm, and uh, I expect Paul Chris to put him in some, some, uh, some good positions to complete some passes, develop a rhythm, and then I think you'll see him throw the ball down the field a little bit. You're you're obviously a, a an alum of Wisconsin, a Big Ten alum. Uh, speak from a macro standpoint. What would it mean to beat LSU, not just an SEC team, but one of the top shelf premier programs in that conference, Big Ten versus SEC, a lot of pride on the line. Uh, how important is that for anyone in Big Ten country? Oh, it's huge. I mean, this is this is what we argue about all day. You know, uh, playing college football is like being in a, in a fraternity, you know, and we argue all day about which conference is the best. Um, I think it's important. You know, I think the Big Ten is starting to return back to prominence, and I think these types of games are are the ones that really uh, can propel the conference forward as a whole, but also for this program. You know, opening day, LSU at Lambeau Field, I don't know if you could find a bigger game than that, uh, not just for these kids, but for all the Wisconsin uh, fans. And, and and the Badger Nation. So you know, you you talk about huge. yeah, you talk about Badger Nation. I've always had such a healthy respect for this program, regardless of the coaching staff. It, it could be Coach Christ, it could be Brett Bielema, it could be Barry Alvarez. But the the identity, the brand of Wisconsin has always been uh, take kids who maybe weren't the four and five star players, and then put them in the pipeline, and they wind up being all Big Ten NFL caliber type players. Is there something culturally that that takes place? in Madison that that develops players, whether it's linemen or skill position players, at such a high level and at such a consistent rate? I really just think it's the mentality. You know, it's the mentality, it's the blue-collar mentality that comes with being a Wisconsin Badger. What does it mean to be a Badger? It means to be tenacious. It means to work hard. It means to pay attention to detail. It's those little things that 
allow players to come in here and to develop quickly. You know, they, they're, they're able to come in and develop because the mentality is right. And, and it's kind of, you know, you're, you're, it's not like it's said to you, but you see the guys in the locker room, how they carry themselves, how they practice, how they study film, how they take care of themselves off the field. And before you know it, you know, these habits are contagious, you know, and you, you these young guys come in and, and they follow sweet. They do the same thing. You know, this is this is what it means to be a football player at Wisconsin. These are the traits and characteristics that you need to make it here, you know. And I think the coaches do a great job of finding guys that buy in. You know, once you got buy in, then, you know, that's 90% of the battle right there. Anthony. This is the this is a big question because it's technically a, a neutral field site, but we know as as well as anybody, this is the Cheeseheads are going to be out in big fashion tonight. I mean, it's going to be an unbelievable scene. Are they going to be playing jump around heading into the fourth quarter tonight? Because you know Badger Nation remembers that game in 2014 where they had a second half lead and let it slip to LSU and Kenny Hilliard. I mean, tell me, what do you expect from Badger Nation today in terms of the home field advantage? They're already out there, Joe. <laughs> they're already out there. They're already out there getting ready for the game. I expect it to be a. I expect the atmosphere to be nothing short of electrical. You know, I think it's going to be a big game. It's going to be. I mean, this is this is amazing. You know, I, I'm so happy that the, the our our guys get a chance to play in these types of games. You know, and this is these are the type of games. This is why you come to Wisconsin to play in these type of games. This is why you play college football. This is the game that kids dream about playing in. Um, and I think you will see a lot of cheeseheads and a lot of Wisconsin Badger fans out there. You know, I think LSU will travel well, too, but I think you're going to see – I'm expecting this to be a home game for the Badgers. And, and when Close you, to a home game. And when, this is what college football is all about, the tradition, the rivalry. AD, it's always a pleasure. Love to have you on a little bit later in the season as the season progresses. I hope you enjoyed it today. Yeah, I did. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, big guy. That was former Wisconsin Badger running back Anthony Davis. We got his take about what it takes from the Badgers to pull out this victory today at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. It's, they're going to need their big play running back, Corey Clement. He needs to step up. Stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be breaking down Clemson and Auburn. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on college football game day, the first game of the day is in the books. Georgia Tech and Justin Thomas with a come-from-behind 17-14 victory over Boston College. Depending on what side of the street you are or you lived in, in Vegas, you're either happy or you're sad because the spread in Vegas was about three and a half in that ball game. But Justin Thomas leading that offense back from a come-from-behind victory. They really turned the ball over early. Early in that matchup, but made up for it, scoring with about 35 seconds left in the game. Put a lot of pressure on Patrick Tolles and the BC offense to respond. And Paul Johnson and the Yellow Jackets do get the 17-14 to victory. If you want to talk college football with Rich and I today, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-84-FNTSY. You could follow me on Twitter, at GoForTheTwo. You could follow Rich on Twitter, at 
at Rich Sermonello, C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Rich, we have one game before we, we want to talk about before we get to Clemson and Auburn. It's West Virginia and Missouri, an intriguing Big 12 SEC battle. A lot of pressure on Dana Holgerson and the Mountaineers in this battle. Barry Odom making his coaching debut. Give me your thoughts about how you feel this game might play out a little bit later today. Yeah, it's a study in contrast, which I always find intriguing uh, regardless of the sport. You have the the physicality and the the defensive-minded team now of Barry uh, Odom for Mizzou, and you've got West Virginia, which has a far superior offense. You've got a a, a nice triplet in, in Skylar Howard at, at quarterback, uh, Russell Shell at uh, at running back. Uh, you know, so you you have a really talented offense, Shelton Gibson at wide receiver. I almost forgot. So, you know, can Mizzou score enough to keep pace with West Virginia? And you mentioned Holgerson. I, I I think he's he's on the hot seat entering this season since they had that big Orange Bowl win a few years ago over Clemson. This team has has really flatlined. They've been 500 or below 500 against quality opponents. Now they're at home, favored by you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 points. They have to hold serve. They have to be. Mizzou this afternoon. I agree with you, and I, I think they get a, get a convincing victory. I look at their defense overall in 2015. They allowed 26 points per game, only 158 rushing yards per game, really forced opposing offenses to methodically work down the field, and you see Missouri's offense last year handcuffed with the inability to run the football consistently, only averaging 115 yards on the ground. That put a lot of pressure on quarterback Drew Locke and the offensive line. This was an offense that only averaged Average 13 points as an offensive unit. And you look at West Virginia's offense. I like this offense because of their ability to pound the football between the tackles. In 2015, they averaged 228 rushing yards per game. I think they start fast and put the pressure on Missouri's offense to respond, Rich. And I do think that they get around a 17 to 20 point victory today in Morgantown. Interesting. I would take the points. I, I show West Virginia minus 10. I would take Mizzou. I, I, you know, the, again, defense. Defensively physical team. They lost a couple of key defensive linemen, but Charles Harris is a kid on the defensive uh, side of the ball who will put a lot of pressure on Skylar Howard. Uh, this is always a well-coached team, so I, I think they'll drag them into an alley. Uh, I have West Virginia winning 28-20. We'll see how it plays out at 12 o'clock. That game is on Fox Sports 1. Check that out at 12 p.m. Eastern time. We'll turn our attention to the Plains in Auburn, Alabama. Great battle between Clemson and Auburn. Clemson's won the last two meetings by a total score of 64 to 43 or 10 and a half points per game but a lot of pressure on Gus Malzahn and this offensive staff they're going with Sean White this was an offense that was handcuffed in 2015 they only averaged 27 points per game they rushed for 196 yards on the ground and 170 pass uh, 173 passing yards per game but Rich they only had one game in 2015 that Auburn passed for over 300 yards it was in the loss at home to Ole Miss. They're going to need a better effort today to get this victory over Deshaun Watson and the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, another interesting matchup. I mean, with all of the marquee games, you almost forget about Auburn and Clemson. And if I can make a suggestion, Joe, I, I don't think the NCAA would go for this. But, uh, you know, much like both teams can't wear white jerseys, could, could we force one team when you have two Tigers on the same field to at least temporarily change their nickname for, for that weekend's games? Is that a possibility? For some reason, it drives me mad when we have two Tigers Tigers, uh, just in terms of who we refer to, uh, but but as far as this game goes, you know, I, I'm just a huge fan in, in what Dabo Sweeney has done. I mean, uh, you know, hired initially as an interim head coach.
coach. Uh, expectations were low. Uh, program was having a lot of problems, and he has now turned this team into an absolute powerhouse. The offense is going to be phenomenal, and it's not just a Sean Watson. One of the kids I, I would encourage the audience to watch uh, this evening and then throughout the season is Mike Williams, the wide receiver, lost last year uh, to a neck injury. I think he is arguably one of the best wide receivers in the country, along with Juju Smith-Schuster and Calvin Ridley down in Alabama. So this is a tremendous offense, but a rebuild D, Joe. So if, you, if you're an Auburn guy and you have some hope for, for Auburn this evening, Clemson has about seven or eight new starters on defense. That's something that could be attacked. Agreed. And this is the third straight year with a new defensive coordinator for Gus Miles on. He'll be chewing the gum. We know with the visor on, on the planes, he'll be into this ball game. He needs to start fast here. Here's the one thing when I look at Clemson's defense overall. Two years ago, they had the number one ranked statistical defense in college football, only giving up 261 total yards per game. They only had three returning starters last year. They backed that up last year with a solid effort. They allowed 21 points per game, only 125 rushing yards per game. But here's the two statistics that I look at, Rich. They held 10 of 15 opponents to 150 rushing yards or less, and eight of 15 opponents to 43% completion percentage or less. In today's spread attack, that's incredible. We'll hold that thought. We'll get back to this matchup, Rich, because we're just getting started. We have another hour to go. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. We're live from New York at the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Stay with us all season long. We'll be right back. This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown! Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan! Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, we're going to get back into the discussion and breakdown of Clemson and Auburn, but a big day for Oklahoma quarterback Sam Bradford. He did get traded from the Philadelphia Eagles to the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings giving up a first-round draft pick in 2017 and a fourth-round pick in the 2018 NFL Draft. Intriguing circumstances with Sam Bradford. He's moving on to Minnesota. Rich, we'll talk about Clemson. Clemson and Auburn right now, and you brought up what Clemson has done in recent years over in terms of being led by their defensive coordinator, Brett Venables. I want to talk to you about the Auburn offense overall under Gus Malzahn. This offense, in my opinion, is going in the opposite direction. They only average 196 rushing yards per game last year. Over the last three years now, we've seen a steady decline in terms of rushing production. When he got there, he had quarterback Nick Marshall and running back Cameron Artis Payne and Trey Mason. They averaged 328 per game on the ground in 2013. In 2014, it dipped down to 255. Last year, it was 196. But in their six losses to opponents with a combined overall record of 59 and 19, Rich, they only rushed for 158 yards per game. They're going to need a better effort today to 
to, to pull out the victory over Clemson tonight. Well, they're, they're going to need a better overall effort, Joe, all season long on offense for this team to, to take a step in the right direction uh, the way the fans want them to. And for Gus Malzahn to be back for another season in 2017. You mentioned Nick Marshall. You know, for Auburn to be successful this decade, you, you need that dynamic playmaker at quarterback. Marshall, Cam Newton uh, prior to that. You need someone who can really spread defenses out and help open up running lanes for the backs. And, and that was not the case last year. I don't think it'll be the case uh, in 2016. Jovan Robinson, who was going to be one of the feature uh, backs, uh, no longer with the program. So I don't know where the offensive pop comes from in 2016. So it's a problem for this evening. Could be a problem throughout the fall. And that's the interesting, uh, I guess, uh, scenario that played out in him naming Sean White as the starting quarterback because Sean White is not a mobile quarterback. He's a drop-back passer. I mean, he can move outside the pocket, but he doesn't have the athleticism that Franklin or Jeremy Johnson does in that offensive scheme. And you would think that they need that type of quarterback to pull off the upset tonight. So I feel like, what are they doing over there in terms of their offensive game planning? Well, and John Franklin III throughout the offseason looked like he was the trendy, buzzy type of quarterback that, you know, there were some people erroneously that were comparing him to Nick Marshall, similar type of players, uh, Franklin coming from the from the JUCO ranks. Uh, he just didn't develop in the summer, didn't develop quickly enough, possibly didn't pick up the playbook, uh, maybe not able to uh, exploit the wide receivers at Auburn. And Sean White looks like he's going to be a safe pick, but I don't know if safe is going to cut it against the Clemson defense. I mentioned it in the last block that Clemson lost eight starters defensively. Yeah, you might be able to exploit that, but but the new starters are former blue chippers. I mean, these are elite athletes moving into those positions, so it's not going to get any easier uh, for the Auburn offense. I, I agree with that. Rich and I will be breaking this game down and give our predictions in the last two segments of the show. We'll move on to LSU and Wisconsin. We heard from former Wisconsin running back Anthony Davis and his take on what Wisconsin has to do to pull off this victory. But I, here's what I look at when I look at LSU, Rich, and why they got Dave Aranda. You talk about the defensive scheme. This was a defense in 2015 that gave up 24 points per game, their highest total since the 2008 season. They allowed 224 passing yards per game. That was their highest total since prior to 2008. And here's the thing when you look at LSU's offense. A lot falls on Brandon Harris. He's going to need to step up. But you look at the rushing attack in their three losses last year to Alabama, Ole Miss, and Arkansas. This was an offense that rushed for 200 57 yards per game. In those three losses, though, they only averaged 99 rushing yards per game. And more importantly, Leonard Fournette only averaged 76 yards on the ground and two of his 22 rushing touchdowns in those three losses. You know, if you want to talk about the most important or the most influential player in college football in 2016, I I think it's Brandon Harris. Because if you get competent quarterback play down in Baton Rouge, you mentioned Leonard Fournette, Darius Geis, the backup quarterback, could start for a lot of programs in college football. Defense is loaded with talent for for Dave Aranda. You have the wide receivers. LSU always has quality game breakers at wide receiver, but the quarterback position has vexed this program. 
program. We don't need Brandon Harris to be Jamarcus Randall, college Jamarcus Randall, not pro Jamarcus Randall. But we do need him to give defenses a reason to not stack the box to stop Leonard Fournette. And, and if Brandon Harris in his junior year takes a mild step in the right direction, LSU has every right to think that they're a national championship contender. I agree with that. And a lot falls on offensive coordinator Cam Cameron's uh, shoulders in this game because you saw the bowl victory over Texas Tech when he opened up the offense and he attacked the deep middle third of the field. That opened up for the running lanes for Fournette later in the ball game. So sometimes it's not how many times you pass, it's when you pass. Utilizing play action on first and second down sometimes you, opens up those running lanes and it's when you call plays. So we'll see how Cam Cameron attacks that defense of secondary in this ball game. And this is a defensive secondary, Rich, that only gave up a seven passing touchdowns last year in the 2015 season. And that's a main reason why Dave Aranda is on the opposite sideline this year. Yeah, and I would expect more of the same from that secondary. Never an issue for, for LSU. Won't be an issue this season. You have two elite Thorpe Award type candidates in Tredavious White and Jamal Adams. Those are players who will not only play in the NFL, but could be first or second day draft picks. So you have a very very experienced, very talented secondary. Just real quickly, to go back to Cam Cameron, Cam Cameron what's so frustrating for LSU fans is it's not that you don't have the athleticism. You have some elite uh, recruits from the South, whether it's Louisiana or Florida. You have game breakers at wide receiver, Traven Doral, Malachi Dupree. So you can spread the field and you can take the top off of defenses but they just have been somewhat risk-averse, and I think that has to change this season. And you look at that game against Alabama. They were tied at halftime, 10 apiece. They come out in the second half. Harris throws the interception. They fall behind 17-10. to 10. He never attacked the deep middle third of the field the rest of the game, and they got blown out in that matchup. And, and that lack of confidence will uh, bleed and permeate down to a, a young student athlete. I think Brandon Harris can pick up on the fact that there was a lack of confidence. Uh, I, I'm not saying that you're going to become the second coming of Washington State with Mike Leach at this point. It would be ridiculous to do that, but certainly a more balanced offense will really uh, benefit LSU this season. I think you have to somewhat take the reins off of Brandon Harris. I agree, and they have to start fast today. We'll see how that game plays out a little bit later, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. We'll turn to another great game today. I mean, this is a great slate of action. Sit back and just relax because the football will be coming from start to finish. UNC and Georgia kickoff at 5.30 Eastern Time, classic ACC-SEC battle. Georgia names Grayson Lambert the starter over Jacob Eason. This is an intriguing ball game because Larry Fedora and North Carolina last year were very close. They played very well in the ACC championship game against top-ranked Clemson, pushed them to the limit, couldn't close the door. This is a team in 2015, Rich, that lost three games all on neutral field sites, two in Charlotte and one in the ball game, two Baylor. Defensively is where they had issues in 2015. They allowed 247 rushing yards per game on the road or on a neutral field site. It was 294. And in their three losses, they allowed 407 rushing yards to, in those three losses to uh, Clemson, South Carolina, and Baylor. They need to a better effort against Nick Chubb today. Yeah, and listen, the, the, the one thing that has to be put in context is, is as average as this defense was in key games in 2015, they were absolutely hideous in 2014. So Gene, uh, Gene Chizik uh, came out of retirement to coordinate that defense and, and really did
did a good job, but defense is going to be the issue again in 2016. Offense is not, Joe. I think people expect Carolina to sort of fall off the map after winning the Coastal last year. They have a ton of talent, and they have an opportunity today to kind of narrow the gap on Clemson and Florida State in the ACC if they could beat Georgia. It's going to be an interesting battle. You're talking about a Georgia team that won 10 ball games in 2015 against opponents with a combined overall record of 51-72 and 72 overall or a 414 winning percentage. There are three losses in 2015 to Alabama, Tennessee, and Florida. Those teams were 33-9 and nine overall. They're going to need a better effort with their senior quarterback, Grayson Lambert. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us because we have former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver receiver Corey Allen joining us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, we're going to wait for former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen to join us. Rich, we were talking about Clemson and Auburn. We'll stick with this game until Corey gets back. Excuse me, we were talking about North Carolina and Georgia. Corey, are you not, with not us? Joe. I believe so. Can you hear me? <laughs> we can hear you now. We had some technical difficulties. <laughs> but what better way to talk North Carolina and Georgia than with a former big play wide receiver from the University of Georgia. He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. want to welcome in former Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey, you're live from the Georgia Dome. Talk to me about Grayson Lambert. What's the sentiment now that he's been named the starter in Bulldog Nation? I tell you, Joe, the atmosphere down here in Atlanta couldn't be more exciting. Uh, the Bulldog faithful is really going to stand behind Grayson Lambert. We understand what he brings to the table. He's a very reliable young guy. He doesn't turn the ball over. He can manage that offense under Kirby Smart and the new uh, regime that we have in Athens. So we're really confident because he also has a strong running game behind him. When you consider the fact that a kid like Nick Chubb is looking to be 100% healthy, when Sony Michelle is ready to step to the table, and even a young man like Holyfield uh, looking to take his chances in the backfield, we have a plethora of running backs. The offensive line has been solidified. So I think Grayson Lambert's in a prime position to have some success, especially against a North Carolina defense that did have some struggles last year, primarily facing the running game. A lot of Bulldog fans, and you know this, I'm speaking to you. You wanted former offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. You wanted him out of there because he wasn't giving Todd Gurley the rock enough in his days in Athens. But I'll tell you this, in third down conversions last year, the Bulldogs struggled. They only averaged 31% on third downs compared to the last three years of production, Corey. It's gone down considerably. In 2014, it was 49%. In 2013, under Bobo, it was 40 41%, and in 2012, 47%. Brian Schottenheimer didn't get it done last year. What do the Bulldogs have to do differently in this week one matchup to move the football against that secondary? I don't believe there's going to be a lot of carryover when you look at what happened last year versus what happened this year. Sure, we have a lot of the same young men, but a completely different staff is going to really impress upon these guys converting on third down. That's going to be imperative, especially when you 
play in the SEC or even playing on the stage that Georgia has today. You've got to be able to convert. Looking at the numbers in years past really won't help because we've got a new system, a new head coach, and we even have some new players. So I'm really looking forward, and the Bulldog Nation is really looking forward to finding out, you know, what are these kids ready to sacrifice this year? Who's ready to put it on the line? Because on third down, it's really going to be the most important time. You have to be able to move the chains in order to keep the ball and at the same time give your defense that rest. And we really don't want our defense on the field all night long. North Carolina has a very explosive offense when you look at the running game, when you look at even the new signal call. They've got a lot of experience on that offensive side. So the Bulldogs are going to have to play great defense and maintain a running game on offense. Corey, what is Kirby Smart going to do defensively? Because this was a team last year that did not play with a physicality, especially in run support, in those three losses that I mentioned to Alabama, Florida, and Tennessee as a defensive unit. They gave up 218 rushing yards on the ground, and they only recorded 21 sacks as a defensive unit. No Jordan Jenkins, no Leonard Floyd this year. That ranked their sack total 97th out of 127 teams in FBS. What do you see out of the defensive scheme that the Bulldogs might showcase tonight to, sh- to stop that North Carolina offense? I think the main thing we're going to see is versatility. I think Kirby's going to make sure he puts the guys in positions to be successful. We have to be aggressive on defense. We need to do our best to try to dictate the pace as far as the Georgia Bulldog defense is concerned. There, are, there is no shortage of talent at Georgia. There's a lot of great playmakers in the secondary. We've got some strong linebackers, really probably one of the stronger linebacking groups in the country. I think Kirby Smart is going to be dynamic in how he does use the blitz, but we have to do our job creating pressure, putting that North Carolina offense in very difficult situations because we can't rely on talent alone. We're going to have to get in position to be successful and make sure we have the guys in that same position as well. Corey, Rich Sermonello, uh, you, you mentioned defense. Can you give us some names on the front seven maybe that uh, you know won't be on the tip of the tongues of, of national uh, fans? Names that maybe were uh, backups last year that you think could have breakout seasons in 2016? The prime guy I'm looking for, and he wasn't, res- he wasn't necessarily a backup, but I'm looking at Lorenzo Carter. I think this is really his chance to step up in, an, in a defense that highlights the outside linebacker play. Kirby's going to have Lorenzo Carter rushing heavily off the end, and it, he'll also do a lot to drop in the pass coverage. That's the young man I'm really looking at the most because if he can become the impact player that Georgia wanted him to be coming out of high school, he's a third-year guy, and he really has the wherewithal to compete on the highest level. And when I say the highest level, I'm talking about on Sundays. This is a kid that has all the physical tools. He didn't start every game last year because – he didn't do what he needed to do to make plays. That's just the real honesty of the situation. Lorenzo Carter's a great kid. I'm looking at I know he's, he's, uh, he's a good kid to start. And at the same time, he's a phenomenal athlete. So he really has an opportunity to step up. And I think this is going to be a great chance for him week one against North Carolina. And now he's a junior, so now there's a little bit of a sense of urgency as he hits the second half of his career as well, right? Oh, my goodness. That's my favorite term, to be honest with you. The sense of urgency is going to be most important. I mean, if you don't understand what's in front of you as a junior uh, on the national stage with this kind of spotlight, then you might not be ready to take that next step. And you're right. A kid like Lorenzo Carter is really uh, going to have to go ahead and get this tape ready. Uh, Everyone is creating film if you want to get to the next level, even if you want to 
played later in this season. You need to be successful today. And I think getting that film, making sure you execute, making sure you use proper technique, and making plays at the same time is going to be important, especially for a guy like Carter. Let's head, uh, head on over to the offensive side of the ball. You touched on uh, Nick and you touched on Sony. Uh, you being down at the Georgia Dome right now, have you had a chance to either watch those kids or talk to those kids to, to sort of get a feel for what their health actually is heading into this opener? I did have a brief conversation with Sony. I saw him actually at the College Football Hall of Fame, and that broken arm has healed nicely. I feel like Sony's going to be in great position to really uh, have a lot of success if we decide to use him. I really think the running back rotation is going to be dictated heavily by uh, the health of Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, from all accounts, whether you have a conversation with him or whether you watch him on film or even just going to watch the practice, as I have done, uh, Nick Chubb looks to be good to go. He looks to be as close to 100% as you could possibly ask for. And I think those guys are going to be definitely ready. Uh, they, they, they love sharing the ball between the two of them. That competition in that backfield is very heavy, but it's also friendly fire going back and forth. So I think it's going to be a great atmosphere for both kids. And that quick conversation I had with Sony, uh, he let me know that he's ready. He's, he's anxious. He, he wants to play uh, with uh, reckless abandon, and that's the way he's always had success. So I anticipate the same on this Saturday. I'm not going to shock anybody. I, I don't want you to be a homer, Corey, but how do you see this game playing <laughs> out? I mean, come on now, give it to us. I'll be honest with you, Joe. I think the North Carolina uh, offense – has the, uh, has the potential to score a lot of points. I'm, I'm really looking at my defense. At the same time, I still feel strongly about the direction of this new staff and the program. I've got the Georgia Bulldogs coming out on top. I think we're going to score more points than everyone anticipates. 31-21, to 21, a little bit of a shootout in the second half. Georgia takes the victory. Corey, always a pleasure. Love to have you on next week, breaking down the SEC with us. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Go, dog. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Rich and I will be giving us uh, giving our predictions. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, we were talking to former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. He gave his prediction for the Bulldogs to knock off the Tar Heels. It's that segment of the show that everybody's been waiting for, Rich. We'll talk right now about North Carolina and Georgia. I'm calling for the upset here. I like Mitch Trubisky, the quarterback for the Tar Heels. He completed 85% of his passes, 555 yards, six touchdowns. He has weapons at his disposal like wide receivers Ryan Switzer and Matt Collins that I expect to break out today. And I'm calling for the upset in the Georgia Dome. Georgia, a slight favorite, three-point favorite, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. I see the Tar Heels knocking off the Bulldogs. How do you see it today? I I don't agree with you, Joe. I I think it's a close and competitive game. I I really like what Larry Fedora has done. He's built up the talent. They're strong on the offensive line. I I think there will be some success, but there will be so uh, so much excitement for the beginning of this Kirby Smart era, uh, I think Nick Chubb will come out of the gates pretty strong. Grayson Lambert will manage the game. I have a Georgia 27, North Carolina 23, so a win and a cover uh, for the Bulldogs. Interesting. We'll turn our attention to the 12 o'clock game. We gave our analysis of Oklahoma and Houston. Baker Mayfield taking on Greg Ward Jr. For me, I think Houston starts fast in this game. The game is played in Houston, technically a neutral field site, but I love Tom Herman as head coach, and I like 
like that offensive scheme that gave Oklahoma problems last year in their losses to Texas and Clemson. I think OU wins, but I think it is very, very close. Calling for a three-point Oklahoma uh, victory over Houston. They're laying 13 and a half on the, on the, in this game, Rich. Yeah, similar, Joe. I, I, I'll take Oklahoma winning. I'll take Houston covering. I have a little more of a spread on this game. I have it Oklahoma 38, Houston 28. I, the, to me, the, the hero of this game, not Baker Mayfield. I think it's Samaj P. Ryan. I think his physicality, uh, his strength between the tackles is ultimately going to be a problem for Houston. Second half of this game, I think he wears down the, the Cougars defense. Interesting. We'll see how that game plays out. West Virginia and Missouri. Skyler Howard and the Mountaineers at home at 12 o'clock. The spread is tw- uh, 10 on the game. I like West Virginia in this matchup for their ability to stretch Missouri's secondary. I like Russell Shell. I know he's a little bit banged up. He had a head injury. He's cleared to play, but I like the Mountaineers' offense in this matchup and do not like Drew Locke at the quarterback position in terms of consistency. I don't think he's a consistent quarterback in terms of his reads and progressions. I think if Missouri falls behind, it's going to be a long day. I'm calling for the 20 point, 17 to 20 point victory by West Virginia in this matchup. Yeah, I think West Virginia wins. I think it's closer than, than you're predicting, Joe. I have it 28 to 20 in favor of West Virginia. My thinking is Missouri uh, tends to be a well coached team on the defensive side of the ball. So I think the physicality I mentioned earlier about Charles Harris, I think he'll have a big game against a good West Virginia offensive line, but I think it's closer at the end of the day. Mizzou just doesn't have enough offense to pull off the upset. Clemson and Auburn, the Tigers taking on the Tigers. 9 p.m. start. It's a primetime game. Clemson a nine-point favorite. Here's the thing I forgot to mention that uh, Gus Miles on. I mean, have you ever seen the Dr. Pepper commercial, Larry the Dr. Pepper guy? Of course. With the, is there any type of similarity between Gus Miles on and him, him in that in terms of the commercial? Are you suggesting Larry's going to play him in the <laughs> Gus Miles on movie? Well, I don't know if he's going to be playing him, but I'll tell you this. They need a better quarterback than Sean White. I think he's going to handcuff this offense and I like the physicality on defense by Clemson I like their bank back end in the secondary I like Tankersley and I like the defensive scheme by Brett Venables and Dabo Sweeney's a big game head coach Rich I mean to knock off LSU Ohio State and Oklahoma in consecutive years he has his teams prepared and the pressure's on Gus Miles on I think this game might be close in the first half in the second half the athleticism of Clemson take over and more importantly Mike Williams is back for that offense. I see Clemson dominating this game in the fourth quarter. Tigers get a 17-point victory over Auburn in this matchup. For, for, for Dabo, this is kind of like a, a beginning of the season Iron Bowl, right? I mean, he gets a chance. The former Alabama alum gets a chance to play against Auburn, so he'll have that personal stake here. Listen, I adore the Clemson offense. I don't think there's a defense on their schedule that will slow them down. The D might be vulnerable at a time, and I kind of like your take on it. I think this game could be close early on. You know, they'll feed into the home crowd. Auburn will. There'll be a lot of energy at Jordan-Hare, and maybe this is a touchdown game at halftime. I I think Clemson pulls away. I see this Clemson 35 Auburn 21, I think a win and a relatively comfortable cover uh, for the ACC's Tigers. We're in 
agreement there. The big game in College Station, UCLA and Josh Rosen taking on Texas A&M. I think the atmosphere in this game, for one, is going to be electric. I really want to see how this crowd takes to Josh Rosen and those comments that he made earlier in the week. And I'm more curious to see how Trevor Knight plays within the system and how he starts his career in College Station. But to me, I think it's the athleticism of those wide receivers. Even though Speedy Knowles out of this game, he will not play suspended. Christian Kirk, Josh Reynolds, Ricky Seals-Jones, and Keith Ford, how they utilize him in the short to intermediate passing game to put pressure on outside linebackers and nickelbacks, in my opinion, is the difference because I don't think Trevor Knight's got to be Baker Mayfield. He just needs to play within the scheme, and I see Texas A&M getting around a 10 to 13 point victory in this game. They're three point favorites at home in College Station. That would be a statement win. Now, I think Texas A&M wins. I have them winning 31 to 27. I'm bullish on the Aggies. I'm bullish on the Aggies in the first half of the season. I think they could rise into the top 10 after upsetting Tennessee at the midway point of the season. But, you know, UCLA has a lot to prove. Uh, They're they're not the most physical team. Eddie Vanderdose, the defensive tackle, he's back. That's an important component. I don't know how much rust he'll have on him entering this game, but I really like the mindset of Texas A&M. I like the veteran leadership of Trevor Knight. I like the fact that they're home in this game. And for me, Joe, I think this is the Miles Garrett show in College Station. I think by Sunday or Monday, when we start talking high early Heisman discussion, which we'll do every week, I think people are going to have to look at Miles Garrett as a contender for an award that typically goes to an offensive player. And keep in mind, last year, week one, when Texas A&M played Berkovici in Arizona State, their defense had 10 sacks in that ballgame. So uh, that that's a testament to what John Chavis was able to do just in a short time there. Now he has another year under his belt, and that's why I like Texas A&M in that matchup. You know, one more point, too, which, which we haven't brought up today, is Josh Rosen does not have a proven receiver. So his targets, I don't know if he's on the same page with those receivers this early part of the season. So if he needs an extra second to find an open man, that's exactly what Deshaun Hall or Miles Garrett is going to need to be in his grill. And we've always said that when you when you have the inexperience at the wide receiver position, the quarterback-to-wide receiver relationship early on in terms of timing, in a timing offense where they want to get the ball out four to five seconds or less, you need to be on that wavelength with your wide receivers. And when you have young, inexperienced guys or new people, that's when issues arise. So we'll see how that game plays out. Rich and I both like Texas A&M. We'll start our attention to the big one tonight, USC and Alabama. Alabama, Rich, has won 14 straight season openers by 22.1 points per game. Their last loss came in 2001 to the UCLA Bruins. This is an intriguing battle because I look at Alabama. They've dominated these opening season victories. They've played teams like Virginia Tech, Michigan, and Clemson and dominated them. But I really like the athleticism of Juju Smith-Schuster to really take the top off this defense and cause Eddie Jackson in the secondary some problems tonight. Well, you know, it's one of a number of great game-within-the-game matchups. You look at the corner tandem of Marlon Humphrey, Minka Fitzpatrick against Juju Smith-Schuster. So that's one of many. I love the defensive line of Alabama versus the hulking offensive line of USC. Question marks with both quarterbacks being first-time starters. Alabama, USC as Max Brown. You've got Lane Kiffin, the, the offensive coordinator of Alabama, now coaching against his former team at USC. So a preponderance of storylines. You want to go historical. We have historical storylines, Alabama, USC. So it's an amazing matchup. Just a, a great marquee pro- 
prime time game at 8 o'clock on the East Coast. It really is. And when you look at Alabama overall, I mean, their MO with their third straight quarterback. But I think a big loss is on the offensive line with Ryan Kelly he moves on to the NFL with the Indianapolis Colts. We'll see how that game plays out. They lose Alabama 30 of the team's 33 rushing touchdowns from last season. So that's something that you have to keep your eye out on. We'll break this game down along with Notre Dame, Texas, Ole Miss, and Florida State. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day in the previous segment, Rich and I were talking USC and Alabama. Rich, here's the one thing when I looked at Alabama, and I'm going to give my prediction, is that they only... Uh, in terms of scoring first, the only game that Alabama did not score first last year was in the loss to Ole Miss. I like the athleticism of USC to strike first and put the pressure on their new quarterback in the offense. In the end, though, I like Alabama to get a three-point victory, but I think USC is in this game from start to finish. That's a confidence level I don't have in the Trojans, Joe. I, I, I think this is a team that will get better as the season develops. I think they could win the Pac-12 South and possibly the championship, but they don't have the physicality. Where they're going to get mauled is at the line of scrimmage. They have an entirely new defensive line. Yeah, Alabama has some new starters up front, but they never have a problem in the trenches under Nick Saban. So I, I think Alabama will play well. Bo Scarborough, new running back, welcome to to, to Scarborough Nation. Uh, I, I think people will know him by, by Saturday night. Uh, I, I think Alabama wins by double digits. He's as big as this wall, Rich. I, I can't take away from that. And keep an eye out for former Bowling Green wide receiver Garrick Dieter, who had 94 receptions, 1,033 yards, and 10 receiving touchdowns. With his addition, teams uh, won't be able to double-team both him and Calvin Ridley and wide receiver Ardarius Stewart. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Rich is taking Alabama I like USC. We spoke LSU-Wisconsin. Rich, to me, I think the athleticism of Malachi Dupree and Traven Durrell on the outside stretches that Wisconsin secondary. That opens up Leonard Fournette and those running backs later in the matchup. I don't think this game is close. I think LSU dominates from start to finish, calling for the 31-10 victory in Lambeau Field. Yeah, I'm with you. I have it 28-13. I, I just don't think that Wisconsin will have the athleticism, but, but especially on the offensive side of the ball. Love Corey Clement. Expect him to have a rebound season after the health issues last year. It is a bad opponent for, for Corey Clement or for anyone on Wisconsin because they're not going to get anything from the passing game in Bart Houston against that LSU secondary. One-dimensional. That's not going to cut it. I think if they get out of the teens in terms of points, it's going to require a defensive or a special teams touchdown. We'll move our attention to the two big games, Notre Dame and Texas Sunday night. Notre Dame starting a two-quarterback system with Malik Zaire and Deshaun Kaiser. Here's what I look at when I look at Texas. They were outscored in their seven losses last year by a score of 273 to 146. I look at that defense, Rich. 30 points per game, 219 on the ground, 233 passing yards per game in those seven losses. They allowed 33 total touchdowns, 15 on the ground, 18 through the air. When you're solidified at the quarterback position, I'll take that any day, even though they're minus their wide receivers. I think Notre Dame gets a double-digit victory Sunday night in Austin. Yeah, I think Notre Dame wins, have it 28-24, to 24, Joe. I think it'll be more competitive. It, it shouldn't look 
anything like last year's 38-3 to blowout in favor of the Irish uh, in South Bend against Texas. I-, I like a lot of the young talent that Texas has. You look at the corners, Devontae Davis and Holton Hill. Uh, you've got the left tackle on offense, Connor Williams. You have some young receivers that are developing. But the inability to develop a quarterback to go with those big running backs, Deontay For- uh, Freeman uh, and, and, uh, and Chris Warren, I, that's the problem again. It's going to take some time, whether it's Shane Bouchel or whether it's Tyrone Swoops. I don't think they have enough on offense, number one, and not enough in the trenches on defense against the, the ND offensive line. I think ND will run the ball very well, get better production from the quarterbacks. It'll be closer than last year, but still another Irish victory. Rich and I both agree on Notre Dame. And then the granddaddy uh, on Monday night, DeAndre Francois in Florida State taking on the gunslinger in Chad Kelly. You look at Ole Miss, they won 10 games by 27 points per game. There are three losses to Memphis, Arkansas, and Florida last year. They lost those games by 14 points per game. But they're banged up, Florida State is, at the wide receiver position. I don't care what they say. Travis Rudolph, Jesus Wilson have nagging injuries. Derwin James was injured for much of the uh, the month, even though he's going to play. Redshirt freshman quarterback, I'm taking the gunslinger in the upset. think it's a high-scoring game, and Ole Miss gets a three-point victory Monday night to start this year. We agree and we disagree, Joe. I, I, I think there'll be a lot of points. I, I could see this being north of 60. I think the stars will be on display. Chad Kelly versus Dalvin Cook, the running back at Florida State. But at the end of the day, I think Dalvin Cook is, is the best player in this game. He is the MVP of this game. I'm going to say it. I, I, I think he's the best running back in the country. I, I, I would take him right now over Leonard Fournette or Christian McCaffrey. I think he's the most dominant player in this game. I think he is the one who carries Florida State to victory. It's a little bit dicey because of the young quarterback. You mentioned Francois. But but Ole Miss lost a lot of their key players last year, right? I mean, no more Laramie Tunsil up front. Uh, you know, no more Laquan Treadwell at wide receiver. No, no more Robert Kimdichie up front. So they're a little bit down talent-wise. I think it's Cook over Kelly in what will be the most entertaining game of week one. I agree with you in terms of Dalvin Cook. I think he is the best polished running back at this point in the season. 1,691 yards. He averaged 7.3 yards per carry and 19 rushing touchdowns. He's a phenomenal player and really steps up in big ball games. Uh, last year, he did it against Clemson. They kept him in check in the loss at the end of the year. Houston did, but for much of the year, Dalvin Cook was explosive and Look for him to be a big part of that offense on Monday night. We'll see how it plays out. Rich likes Florida State. I like Ole Miss. I'm going to give a sleeper, and we talked about it. We have about 30 seconds. Look out for Southern Miss today over Kentucky. Nick Mullins and Jay Hobson, the new coach. He was 32-17 and 17 overall at Alcorn State. He was the former defensive coordinator there. You look at Kentucky, they allowed a... 196 rushing yards per game, only 17 sacks, and they did start this game. Three sophomores in the secondary. We're just getting started for Rich Sermonello. I'm Joe Lisi. Stay with us all season long. We'll be back next week. Two hours of college football game day. Stay with us on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Have a great weekend, everyone.